Welcome to episode 14 of the Agents of E-Commerce podcast. Today we have Ron Northcutt from Acquia, and we will be discussing Composable Commerce, the next wave in e-commerce platform development. And it's a real interesting story. Lots of good nuggets of information for you there to take back to work or wherever you may go. So have a listen and let me know what you think. All right, welcome to the Agents of E-Commerce podcast. Today we have my man, Ron Northcutt. Uh, so Ron is a new coworker of mine, but Ron, why don't you tell him about yourself? Uh, he's the director of developer, developer advocacy, but maybe you could tell us a little more about that and how you got to be in this position. Sure. Yes. Um, so I've uh, been at Acquia for uh, six and a half years. Uh, did some work in pre-sales as a sales engineer, moved over to take over uh, the demo team and, and built out our demo factory that builds out uh, our demos and recently moved over to product marketing uh, to uh, be a developer advocate and take over the go-to-market messaging and, and outreach for de- our developer tools. I've um, been a developer before all of this for quite a number of years uh, and actually got into that because I was doing real estate and was building my own um, websites and applications uh, using this tool Drupal uh, that we use. That's how I got involved in it. And from there, I started doing more and more uh, development just for fun, started doing some uh, some freelance work, just make some extra money, got really busy, and then followed the path of the developer. But I always had the sales background. So when I got to Acquia, I was able to put both of those together. And then from there, moved up into kind of more of that architecture role. Um, and now just really interested and passionate about uh, technology and open source and trying to help folks uh, solve problems using uh, all of the great resources that are available. Awesome. Yeah, this is this is a problem-solving type of uh, <laughs> environment that we're in. So um, so this podcast, the focus today is on composable commerce. Um, but I think maybe it's good to sort of understand where we are currently in sort of our, our e-commerce world. Uh, you know, I've been in e-commerce since about 1999. So I've, I've been here mm. and at this for a long time. And, uh, you know, one thing that we see is the more things change, kind of the more things stay the same on certain levels. So why do you think this is sort of an interesting time to be uh, in the e-commerce space? That's a, a really good question. Um, so I, I think uh, there's a couple of things. The, the first thing is we've got technology that has come out uh, recently with um, headless and decoupled um, API microservices. We've now got a, uh, this boom in low-code technology. And so those are opening up new opportunities on both the developer side as well as the the marketer and and experience management side. Uh, The other thing that um, is really interesting about this time is that this is, we've also got some really great SaaS platforms that have gone from just being kind of niche players to being, you know, um, pretty much almost juggernauts in their own right. And so the old patterns of e-commerce that we've seen for most of the time on the internet uh, are just really ripe for disruption and this convergence of the technology and now this new wave of um, players in the space and the things that we can do today we couldn't do then have just opened up some new doors. 
Yeah, definitely. And as those doors open, you know, certain companies are going to step into them and take advantage of them, and others will be sort of fighting to to maintain sort of the status quo. Uh, but you mentioned a term, and I want to start, you know, making sure we get the definitions out there because some of these terms are a little bit confusing at times, and people confuse them with other terms. But the first one is sort of composable, right? Uh, and I'll I'll take the definition from from Gartner uh, as who defines composable as an organization that delivers business outcomes and adapts to the pace of business change. It does, not, it does this through an assembly and a combination of packaged business capabilities. So, so how would you, you know, extend that conversation or at least that definition uh, as we look at e-commerce? Absolutely, yeah. So um, one of the big things that uh, we think about with Composable is uh, it depends on who's using it, right? So from uh, an IT side, from a developer perspective, we want to make sure that we're talking about Composable and putting together modules, plugins, libraries, and frameworks to kind of build out the things we need. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. From the business side, from marketing, experience management, content creation, we want, that's where we want those low-code tools and the ability to kind of put the pieces together and create the content and the experiences we want, um, but do so in a way that is easy and convenient. And on all sides, we're looking for efficiency and velocity. The one thing that I would say as a caveat is uh, composability, uh, I I think is probably the buzzword for 2021. Everybody and everything is now saying they're composable. I I think uh, Lunchables are now going to be start calling composables, you know, kidding, but we're we're not that far off because you're going to start seeing that a lot. So just keep in mind that because somebody says something's composable, doesn't really mean it is. Definitely. And I think also, you know, what to understand composable, it's also good to understand what it is and as well as what we're coming from, right? So there's this concept mm-hmm. before composable was, I think, you know, the term I've heard is sort of the monolith, right? It's sort of this one platform that you would use as a as a, a e-commerce, maybe a, a marketing company that's trying to get online and do e-commerce business. You'd buy one platform uh, and you would use them to leverage for every aspect of it, kind of sort of an ERP sort of way, right? And that mm-hmm. that's sort of where this all started, correct? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um and it's, it's difficult to have uh, unique experiences that way if you've got a, a truly locked down rigid system. Yeah, and they're they're very template driven, I think, and that's mm-hmm. what you you know having built some websites and uh, you know the the focus so much when you're building an e-commerce site is those templates, those category pages, those product display pages, and you feel such a, a responsibility when you're building these sites because you got sort of one shot to build this template, and once you've built the template, you know it, it can be somewhat complicated or challenging to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to go back to design, you have to go back to IT, you have to. Make jump through a lot of hoops. So you know if you don't nail it when you're doing the build, you're in a situation where you're stuck with a, an experience that that often doesn't evolve as fast as you want. So that's sort of how I think about sort of the the the, the current state in many regards and and where we how we've come up uh, over history in e-commerce. Yeah, absolutely, and that the the limitations there are, are a big one, um, which is why this this concept of composability and the agility to go in and easily change things um, as as you change your mind, as you're trying new things, as you're doing testing and finding out what works and what doesn't work. We don't want to be building tech debt. We want to be releasing ourselves from that to be able to adapt to the market. Definitely. 
And, uh, you know, I think uh, the, there's an analogy you've used as well, besides Lunchables. Uh, you, you threw me <laughs> off with that one because my daughter, you know, she keeps asking me to buy these things. I'm like, they're disgusting. Yeah. They're processed carrots in, in a bag. <laughs> I'm like, I don't Maybe if I just put a bunch of Ziplocs together. But anyway, you really you sent me on a, on a, a real tangent there. But, <laughs> but the, other, the other analogy I think that you've used before and I think makes a lot of sense is, is everyone's favorite uh, Legos. Uh, right. And uh, and everyone, you know, it's sort of a, this concept that people get that that you have these building blocks that can be assembled in multiple different ways to create an unlimited number of experiences by people that don't know much about architecture or uh, or building. And it, it's sort of a similar analogy, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And if you, you know, Legos are great because, you know, like commerce, it's it's something that everybody knows. And there's different kinds. So there's the the duplex, which are the big chunky ones. And then there's kind of the standard uh, middle of the road, regular Legos. And then you've got like the more advanced kind of technic Legos that do different things. And the cool thing is that you, while you do have those to serve different markets, right? You've got the, the little chunky ones, which are typically aimed at younger kids. And you've got the more advanced ones that are aimed, you know, more at older kids. And then the ones in between, Actually, anybody can use any of them and they can use them with each other. So my my two youngest kids are, are 10 and 13. They are well beyond the, the little kid age for the duplex Legos. But every now and again, those, you know, the box of duplex Legos gets pulled out and they'll spend some time playing with them because it's just so easy and it's so fun. Um, and then, you know, my son has like the robotics ones. And so he'll do really advanced stuff. But I think the important thing is that we need to make sure that this concept of composability is applied to those different roles that we talked about, and it provides the different bits of functionality, and really to use the right tool for the right job. There is no one perfect Lego. There's what's a good Lego based on what you're trying to accomplish right now. Um, and it's the same thing when we start talking about technology. We need to be clear on choosing the right technologies and then being able to put them together in ways that we can achieve different solutions. Definitely. And I think, you know, a lot of what we're trying to do or what I understand uh, is from a composable standpoint is to put that power of creativity, of assembly closer to the business, closer to the customer, which often tends to live within the marketing side of the house. Uh, mm -hmm. The folks that tend to be less technical in background and experience, but but also have uh, responsibilities, uh, profit and loss responsibilities for category, for ownership of, of specific aspects of an e-commerce business. And for them to be constantly working through a, a team of IT developers, it tends to limit their ability to innovate. So, so I think, you know, as we think about this concept of composable and the, the Lego analogy, I think it's important because you're putting things in the hands of builders, of, of people mm. that, that take ownership of what gets created. And, uh, and I think that's a little bit different than most of the e-commerce world works right now. Yeah. And I, I think you, you really hit on a very, very important point there. And that is that wherever possible, we want to make sure we give the tools to the people that need to deliver the work. So if um, we've got somebody whose responsibility is to deliver the actual experience, they should have the tools to own and control as much of that experience as possible. Otherwise, you're getting into a game of telephone because you've got the, the marketer who's describing the vision to the designer, the designer who's taking the designs to the developer, the developer who's trying to build stuff and put it together, and then pushing it out and deploying it, and then coming back to the marketer at the front saying, is that what you want? And they're like, yeah, not exactly. You know, so instead, we want to we kind of want to go um, from the middle out 
and be able to design the pieces, the Legos that we have, build those Legos and pieces, provide them to the marketer to build the experiences they want. And when they hit a limitation or a change they want, or they want to do something differently, then they go back to the designer and the developer and look for what they can do to, to extend and augment their capabilities, to create a new brick, if you will. But the person who's got to deliver, um, they, they're the ones with the vision. They're the ones with the responsibility. We need to empower them to do what they need to do. With those bricks. And by the way, on average, there are 80 Lego bricks for every person on earth. Just in case wow. you're wondering about pervasiveness. I did my, I did my research wrong. Uh, <laughs> I don't mess around. Did you know that every year um, they sell enough Legos uh, uh, to hold on, to go around? Oh, shoot. I had this here. There it is. Every year, late end to end, the number of Lego bricks sold in a year would reach more than five times around the world. That, huh? that seems ridiculous. I totally believe it, by the way. I totally believe it. But it, it's amazing. Um, yeah. What a business. And those, yeah, and those same Legos, if you bought a Lego 50 years ago when they started the business, you could still use those same Legos today. They haven't changed a bit, those individual bricks. But 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 we digress, and I'm sorry, <laughs> but I had to, I thought this I couldn't believe it either when I read this stuff. So so I think another area that that we tend to think about and we're we're looking to sort of break into a dichotomy here in the e-commerce world is this concept of shopping versus mm-hmm. buying. You know, I think for for a lot of us, uh, the shopping experience is, becomes the focus, and and it's it's what we look for in a website. It looks for in a, from a brand. How is that shopping experience? Because when it comes to the buying experience, the actual transaction, credit card, shipping, billing, sure, there's one page checkouts. It's, there's definitely advancements in that space, but those are things that are are sort of table stakes, which are not really differentiating in many ways. Um, but yet, as so much of the focus and energy around commerce is 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 around the the transactional piece, and I think part of what we're we're trying to understand here is let's really refocus on the shopping aspect, which is really ninety percent of the experience. You know, it's um, I still remember the call that we were on when you first said that, and it really was a light bulb moment for me because I think you're you're really drawing out this this subtle distinction that kind of calls out what's different about e-commerce today versus, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, but also calls out why we have to think so differently and why composability is so important because that, that 90% that's shopping, it really is key. And consumers, they expect a better experience. They expect things to be seamless. They expect us to meet them where they are. They expect personalization. They expect things to be interesting, engaging, and beautiful and useful. And as you said, the the actual transactional piece, obviously critical. Like you, you can't you can't run a business if you can't take the money that you know and, and deliver the the stuff people want to buy. But um, it's kind of for nothing if you can't get someone to the end line. If you can't show them your products and interest and engage them and present them in the right way, and that first ninety percent um, of getting them through that shopping experience is absolutely critical. And that's where we're starting to see a lot more around testing and first party data and CDP and how do we optimize and how do we personalize? It all falls in that first 90%. It's really critical. Yeah. And in that 90%, it's where the innovation, I think, really has been missing in many regards when it comes to commerce. You know, If you have that data about that individual, that person, how they like to shop and what they're interested in, how they like to experience things, and you have the ability to manipulate and maybe change, create multiple templates for a product display page, let's say, 
Uh, normally, they're all sort of shoehorned into the same type of approach with the image and the descriptions, but but maybe other aspects of, of that product would be more relevant to me as an individual than somebody else. And with a, a more composable approach, you have the ability to really think about the customer first and think about the different types of personas that, that you deal with and, and handle on your site. And you aren't limited to one template for all. So that's something I think about as a, as a key shopping module. Yeah. And I think that the more we go down this road and, and remember too, I mean, we're, we're still thinking and talking a lot about, you know, websites and pages. Um, but, you know, there's also apps. There are other completely different channels like buying things on Facebook or on Instagram, you know, buying things through now Alexa and other, you know, voice um, activated integration things, app stores on your phone and now in cars, like with Tesla. So the, and this is going to continue to change like the, the embedded kind of um, uh, the embedded technology wave is coming after the mobile wave. And this is going to keep going in ways we can't even predict so it's really important, I think, for us to have uh, be future ready and know that the way that we're building and doing things today, we're not just going to have to scrap tomorrow, that we're trying to be smart about doing things in ways that are going to be flexible. And again, like you said about the Legos, you bought a Lego 40 years ago and it still works today. It's not often you can say that about technology, but that is one of the really good things about this you know, standardizing on things like REST and different APIs and making the giving us the ability to know that in the future, um, maybe even 40 years from now, uh, we're still going to be able to tie into those other systems in similar ways. Definitely, and this this concept of of looking ahead at where where commerce is going and trying to set yourself up for it, it's hard to anticipate. But but with the more sort of componentized you are, the more flexible ultimately you can be as a business. Absolutely. Um, so so one area that you know honestly confused me, and we and we had some prep calls on this was the difference between what composable is and headless. I, I kind of mm. sort of saw them in the same light, and I, I was incorrect. And I, I can admit when I'm wrong sometimes, and this is one of those cases, but maybe you can help uh, d- differentiate between what a headless commerce experience and what a comp- composable commerce experience is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, and to be clear, I mean, it, it is confusing and there is some overlap and you can do headless and composable ways and you can do composable and headless ways. So um, it's, it's, it can be very confusing, but if we, if we were to divide these into two buckets, headless versus composable, the, the primary thing that I would focus on is that headless approaches tend to start with the developer. So they, um, you know, with a completely headless integration or a headless service, you have to use programming code to access that system, right? You, you have to have a developer in order to start to tie those pieces together. Now, it may be very easy for the developer, and it should be, and that's one way that they can move fast. And the developer can then put those headless pieces together, those services together to do things. But what you end up with is technology is driving your architecture. And this um, developer first approach means that your content creator, the experience creator, usually comes last. Um, You're trying to design from a developer for the end user. Now, in some cases, that is the right choice to make. Um, and that can is is a great way to go, and it's a great tool set, and it's, it's a solid architecture that provides a lot of value. But when we start talking about something that would be composable first, 
that usually starts by thinking about who that end user is and what you're, the experience you're trying to create and providing those bricks or those tools to the content creator, the experience owner, to put those things together. And then you start thinking about the developer and how the developer is going to be supporting that composable platform. So it kind of is the reverse. Now, the nice thing about this is that you end up with an architecture that tends to be more driven by user experience, tends to be more flexible in terms of that user experience. Like you said, you don't have to change a template and deploy code to um, make a change to the experience. You can go in and uh, you can use the low-code tools and you can move things around. You can pop one brick off and put another one on. It's much easier to do. And um, the this is where we start getting into those philosophical differences. And as a technologist, I believe you use the right tool for the right job. So we had a, a discussion about uh, um, my my wife had uh, ordered some bookshelves to put together, and she had two sets. She and my son put one together using the the little hex wrench that came with it. Uh, I volunteered to put the other one together, and, and I grabbed my power drill and had it done in a fraction of the time. There's a place for um, a power screwdriver and there's a place for a manual screwdriver. And it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. But there is a difference. One's focused on agility and speed and one is focused on um, really giving you that that hands-on direct experience, which sometimes is the right way to go. But the bottom line is IKEA makes some some pretty good products, I think is what, what you're trying to say here. Not, that's, that's pretty not much it. I mean, there, I don't know if they're sponsoring your podcast yet. No, but maybe no, they could. Yet. They could though. Yeah. Let's like, why not? Let's do actually, it. I'm I'm actually a bigger fan. There's a website for those of you like who like IKEA called IKEA or Death. Uh, <laughs> it basically gives you a test so you can determine whether it's an IKEA product or a Scandinavian death metal band. So you, they fantastic. give you the name and you have to decide which, and I'm, I'm horrible at it. I do worse than random guessing, but I encourage you to give it a shot. I'll put a link to it on the uh, description here, which has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but this is the type of benefit you get from listening this far into the podcast. So that's it. Uh, anyway, so, so I think, you know, the, the differentiation there between headless and, and composable, I'm hoping that's clear. One aspect, another piece of it too is, you know, the front end is, uh, built, as I understand it, for headless in something like a, a JSON or some type of a, a, a developer-friendly way to assemble, whereas for composable, you're using essentially a low-code tool. Maybe that's another area to, to zero in. I think this concept of low-code, what is it? How is it really enabling this to, to, to work? Absolutely, yeah. So when we're talking about something that's a, a decoupled app or that's headless first, you're usually going to be using some type of JavaScript framework, whether it's React or Angular or Vue or, or something like that. Um, when you're talking about something that's composable, um, while you can get there from a headless standpoint, there are tools that help you get there. You still have to write and build those components. Um, one of the things that's really valuable about a low-code tool set is that it's already designed. It's already done that work. So if you think about something like a Wix or a Squarespace, right? That a non-developer can go in and drag and drop and put the pieces together. Or, you know, your traditional WYSIWYG little editor you'd have in a website that we are creating content or Google Docs and things like that. Those are those tools that are designed for a non-developer who's not technical um, or doesn't have to write code at any rate 
to go in and create and do the things they want to do and use these tools to do so. And so having that low-code tool set means that you don't have to depend on a developer to build everything. You can use those tool sets, you know, the, the starter kit of uh, Lego blocks to build most of what you want. Then you can take your really valuable resources. I mean, I'm a developer myself. I can tell you, I would much rather be coming up with a cool integration or playing around with big data or machine learning or working on better testing and improving the performance of my and optimizing my tools than moving a block on a page from one side to the other and writing a template by hand. It's, um, it's just not that fun. So it's a, it's a much better way to go if you can get away with um, uh, using low-code tools um, to get what you need. Definitely. And I, and I think, you know, the other piece of this too is as you start to think about low code and the ability to put things in the hands of business, um, it does change and may often require some new organizational thinking, um, abilities mm. to think about risk and creativity, which may not have existed out there because you had the limitations of, of other types of e-commerce sort of monoliths or paradigms. Now you're moving to a new world where the business can and change things and can change what commerce experience can look like and feel like. Uh, and I think that's going to challenge some businesses who are not used to giving that type of power, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, but it also right. allows for creativity and innovation. And that is something that I think companies have to plan around as well, that they have the, the, the risk tolerance for doing these type of things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in fact, that's, you know, from my days as a um, as a sales engineer in the field, that was one of those things that I, I surprised me at first as a developer that I would run into that because coming from a development background, I personally love having choices and options, and I love the opportunity to make things more accessible and to bring people and said, "Hey, did you? Oh, you can actually do this yourself. Let me show you how cool it is." Um, but as I started working with large organizations, you know, once you start to bring in not just fear, but then people don't want to break something. Then you also have things like regulatory and, and compliance things that you have to abide by. And, and there's actual real professional and financial risk associated with these things. You know, if you accidentally, if I accidentally did something wrong and I, I broke my site and it took an hour to get back, it's no big deal. But you know, you talk about some of these major organizations and if they break their site or it goes down, they could lose millions of dollars if they're not online, right? Like at the right time. Um, so one of the things that's really important is to find that balance between the flexibility and the power that you want to give to that, uh, that experience creator, along with some form of governance. So we've seen a big rise in um, tool sets like Wix and Squarespace and, and Shopify, and there's a, a ton of value that they provide, but you really don't see a lot of those when you start getting up into large organizations because they don't have any governance around them. So one of the things that um, that's one of the reasons I, I love using Drupal and um, I'm here at Acquia because we, you know, we are the, the company that kind of uh, powers and, and encourages Drupal is that it's got this really great governance layer where I know I can safely give people the ability to control what they want but there's a, a workflow process that has to go in place. And so um, they can create things, they can change things, but those changes are not going to be live until they've gone through some form of approval. 
And uh, I recently had the experience of working with some members of my team, uh, product marketing team, who are not designers, not developers, um, on creating a sample website for one of our trial experiences. And I just uh, set up uh, Acquia CMS, which is a tool set we have. It's got low-code tools in there. And I said, hey, yeah, just go in and, and just start playing. If you have questions, let me know. And there was a few people that were a bit trepidatious and they didn't want to break something. And I said, well, number one, I haven't given you permissions that are strong enough to break anything. And number two, everything that you're creating is going to go through this workflow process. So it's not even going to be live until we agree that it's ready to go. And the really beautiful thing is that I didn't have to worry, you know, as a person that's responsible for this platform that I put out here for these non-trained, non-technical folks. But once they realized that they didn't have to worry, it was amazing to see how prolific they became and how creative they became because they were free to try things. And they tried things and this didn't quite work and that didn't quite work. And they would put these components and they would adjust them and they would change the colors and put new images in. And they could really kind of work with it to get it to something uh, that really works really well. And it was very freeing for them because we, we made it safe. We made it safe for the user and we made it safe for the organization. And that's a really important thing to do. Definitely. I think yeah, the, the concept of this organizational oversight freedom, but with uh, the, the training wheels necessary to make sure that, that things get off the ground well, yeah. I think is, is a model that that's, can work can actually work for, for a lot of organizations. So uh, we're about to uh, run up out, out of time here, but before we go, I, I think, you know, maybe to think about is who are some examples uh, that you think are, are folks that are using these type of concepts, using composable or looking to go in, in a content driven experience uh, uh, right now, where, where can we go to get some examples of what this could look like? Sure. So one of my favorite long-term examples is a company called Lush. And they have um, uh, bath products and, and some makeup products and things. If you've ever been to one of their stores, it's a really interactive, engaging experience. And they've been doing this for a long time, um, making a similar type experience. It's very content rich on their sites. Um, very cool how they've been able to do that. And that's kind of, I feel like, been really leading the way. But we also see organizations that are a little more uh, traditional, like um, uh, Singer, and uh, Corel and some of those uh, companies that are a little more um, maybe old school who are now adopting some of these more composable platforms to enable them to move faster and do it at scale and manage it over a number of sites and a number of brands. Really powerful uh, when you take that and scale it up. Awesome. Well, I think this is going to be an exciting time for, for those of us in the e-commerce world and see what where people take these tools because that's that's going to be the proof. Um, so, Ron, thank you so much for your time. Um, uh, before we let you go, is there any uh, ways people can find you if they've got questions? Any Twitter or uh, where's the LinkedIn? Maybe uh, I can send sure. some links out to your to your to your stuff. But uh, if you direct people anywhere, yeah. So in most places, you can find me at R L Northcutt N O R T H C U T T. That's on Drupal. That's on Twitter. That's on Facebook. That's on LinkedIn. Um, if you got questions, especially about Drupal, uh, I, I love to to help out and give back if I can. So uh, find me. Happy to have a chat. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Ron, and uh, look forward to seeing more great things from you. Hey, thanks so much. Take care. <laughs>